Welcome back to seeing life from a different angle. Tonight, I'm going to lay out for you what I consider to be the four cornerstones to any relationship. No matter what the relationship might be, whether it is friends, whether it is loves, whether it is lovers in our lives, whether it's family, doesn't matter. Ultimately, these cornerstones, I think, apply to all people. In a lot of ways, we can compare it to a house that it is necessary for the house to have four solid cornerstones in order for the house to continue to stand. Let me explain. Let's look at each individual cornerstone and see how it applies to this idea of a house. The first cornerstone is what I refer to as the principle of individual psychology. In other words, anything or everything that another person says or does is really about them and not about us. It has an effect upon us, but it isn't truly about us. Now, the strange piece about this is, is that we handle that very notion in very strange and odd sort of ways. It's not our natural inclination to believe that what another person says or does is not about us. Our natural narcissism would compel us to believe that, of course, if they're saying it to us or they're doing it to us, that it is about us. But the truth of it is, it has an effect on us. And that effect for us is about our lives' experiences, not about their lives. And what they're saying or they're doing is about their lives, their history, their experiences. And they're making a choice in that moment for their own reasons to quote-unquote, spill it onto us. In a lot of ways, if we could think of it as, a, as a, an example, say, for instance, you've decided to go out on a date, a blind date with this person. And so you go to this blind date and you're sitting there across from this woman and you notice that she has her phone resting on the table. And so every once in a while, she'll pick up her phone and she'll look at it. And our first inclination is to think, well, that's rude. But after a certain period of time, we start wondering, do I have bad breath? You know, do I have something stuck in my teeth? You know, something along the lines of saying, it must be something about me that's making her pick up her phone and check her phone on a regular basis. The dinner ends or the date ends and you go your separate ways. The thing is, you never realize that the reason she was checking her phone is because her sister was admitted to the hospital earlier that day because she was having her child and she didn't want to break her date with you because she was really looking forward to doing so, coming out and getting to know you. But she also wanted to make sure that everything was okay with her sister. And so when we think about it, that circumstance, albeit a very unrealistic one probably for most people, is a valid one. When we think about the notion that, you know, what this other person does in engaging with me isn't really about me in any way. Each one of us has a history, and that history is going to spill itself onto any relationship that we have. It's like we talked about last week, that all of us have a subjective viewpoint. We are all people of the stomach or people of the head. We tend to focus on our own thoughts, on our own feelings. And it's true in both directions. We tend to think that what this other person is feeling or thinking is what they are th feeling or thinking in relationship to us. 
and about us. And strange as it may seem, it does kind of come as a blow to our ego to have another person say things and for it to not be about us, for have another person to feel things and for it not to be about us. The second cornerstone goes on to something that we haven't really discussed yet, so I wanted to address it briefly, and then we'll move on from there and explore it more deeply in the future. I mentioned a moment ago the idea of the ego and how our ego, because we have a history, will spill itself onto others and our ego will be hurt or offended if what it is the other person says or does isn't about us, even in hurtful or painful circumstances. The ego is that part of each of us that helps us to deal with the world, internally as well as externally. And in order to function well, the ego has certain needs that it looks to have gratified. I know we addressed this in our very first podcast when we talked about the idea of a plate of food. But the idea is that for all of these needs, the ego gathers strength in the gratification of these needs. And it looks to others to provide for this gratification. None of us are individuals who are alone in this world. We are sailing along with others and engaging with others. And so we look for these others in our lives, people that are important to us to gratify these needs, starting with our relationship with our mothers, later our fathers and friends, family members, and loves in our life. And so when we think about the second foundation of this relationship or any relationship, we also have to think about it from the perspective of recognizing that I am looking for this other person to meet these needs. And that is the second cornerstone of this relationship. It goes both ways. There's a mutuality in knowing that I want to meet this other person's needs and I'm hoping that they will do the same thing for me. It's kind of like the idea of and the foundation of trust rests on that cornerstone. And so we can imagine it this way is that when we think about trusting, why do we trust? There are two sides of trust, two types. The one type of trust is the trust that we're all familiar with, which is, I believe this person will not do any harm to me. They'll not hurt me emotionally, physically, sexually, or any other way take advantage of me, in other words. But the other side of trust, I think, which comes even before the previously mentioned side, is a side that says, you know, here's this person who meets my needs and who seems really pleased and connected and wants to meet my needs, so much so that they wouldn't want to do harm to me. And Therein lies the, the desire for each individual within a relationship to get this need gratification from this other person. I believe that this person wants to meet my needs and I'm open to them meeting my needs and it establishes a sense of trust within that relationship because this person in meeting my needs gets gratification for doing so. But in order to do so, we have to have the third cornerstone of a relationship which is something I think that a lot of people really do tend to look past. The number of individuals I have worked with over these 26 years as a therapist who will talk to me about how they don't know 
or they don't share about their previous relationships with their current boyfriend or girlfriend, sometimes even to the degree where their wives or their husbands have no idea who it is that they've been romantically involved with prior to the relationship that they're in now. And it's a fascinating thing to consider because this is such an important piece of history. You know, I believe ultimately that the third cornerstone is that we must share the depth of who we are with the other person. We must tell them the stories of our lives. We must let them know what it is we've been through, where it is we've been, who it is we have loved and who it is we haven't loved, the experiences of our lives. And the reason is twofold. One is that it gives us an opportunity when we step back to cornerstone number one to realize that what somebody else says or does because I have heard from their lips about their history, we recognize that it really truly is about this other person and it isn't about me. And even though it has an effect upon me, it isn't about me. And so it gives us the opportunity by knowing this other person, by knowing the depth of who they are, to be able to say, okay, whatever it is that they're experiencing or whatever it is they're saying right now, whatever pain they're going through, that isn't about me. And the second is that it allows for both individuals within the relationship to understand how it is that this other person would like their ego's needs met, hopefully in healthy ways. By having knowledge of them, I am able to say, oh, I see. I see how you want me to react to your emotional needs or to your intellectual needs or to your sexual needs or to your erotic needs. I see who it is you genuinely are. Which brings us to the fourth cornerstone. The fourth cornerstone of any relationship, I believe, is that we must accept that who the other person is cannot be altered through love or fear or any type of pressure from us that would get them or try to get them to be what it is we long for them to be. We've all heard of circumstances where an individual will say, you know, I will love him or I will love her to the point where they will be better, they'll be happier, they'll be healthier. But the truth of it is, like I pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, is that each of us has a history. We all know that. Each of us has a history that is going to have an effect upon how I see the world, upon how I engage with it. If you think about it this way, there are any number of times within any relationship where any one of these cornerstones could be broken. For instance, if someone finds themselves lying within a relationship or finds themselves doing something that would break the trust of the other person, the second cornerstone starts to crumble. And it starts to give the individual who's been hurt doubts as well about whether or not what the other person says or does is about them. You know, it forces them to doubt that it really isn't about them, but may indeed be about them. And so it starts to alter the relationship. It starts to affect how the two people engage with each other. And it stops being something where you can say, this does have an effect upon me, 
And out of love for this other person, I want to be there for them, and I hope that they will be there for me, and that we can work this through together. I had the opportunity not too long ago to pick up C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And in the book, one of the chapters he talks about how human beings relate to each other and how we live a moral life or how we can live a moral life. And he relates it to ships that are sailing in a convoy. And when we think about these ships that are sailing in a convoy, one of the ways that we must, if we're going to live a healthy life, a healthy moral life, relate to each other is to do what we can to not do harm to the other. But in order to make sure that we continue to live a moral life, it can't stop with just that. It also has to be us being able to recognize we cannot do harm to ourselves. And I think that that's where relationships start to fall apart, is that we become self-preserving. We start to focus on what it is we must do to protect ourselves, and we stop focusing on what it is that we have with this other person, this person who has us, has our back, who is there for us. And we end up focusing so much on preserving ourselves out of fear that we don't build and work on these cornerstones within any relationship. If we're lucky, if the relationship has been a long-standing one, no matter what pains it might produce within the relationship for the trust, for instance, to be broken, you know, there because it has been long-standing, we can shore up that cornerstone for a period of time and work towards a remedy of that, towards a correction of that cornerstone, rebuilding it as time goes on. And so if we think about it in many ways, let's go to the idea of something that is most abhorrent to many people, is the idea of an affair. An affair attacks the entire house that is resting on these four cornerstones. It becomes such a focus on what do I need to do, for instance, cornerstone number four, what do I need to do in order to be what it is, is that this other person longs for me to be? Cornerstone number three, it starts leading to doubts as to whether or not the history that you are sharing with me really has been your history. Are you really telling me the truth? Which chips away at cornerstone number two, because now trust is gone and I don't know that you really want me to meet your needs or that you are really there for me to meet my needs. Which then, of course, affects cornerstone number one because now I start doubting that the things you say really are truly about you and they're not really about me. I had a patient many years ago who had had an affair and he was struggling within his relationship. He had told his wife about the experience. But in so doing, he had left her feeling like it was completely her fault. You know, she had, they had gone to see a counselor. The counselor had told them that, indeed, it must have been her fault, which is sadly a common occurrence. A common occurrence that therapists will say to their patients or say to the spouse of the patient, yes, it must be that because... You know, it takes two to tango, or phrases silly like that. And I say silly because it doesn't really take into account the different angle of life. It only takes into account 
an individual's subjective perspective, including the therapist, who thinks that it doesn't rest on the shoulders of the one person, the person who had the affair, for instance. It rests on both people's shoulders. And the damage that that produces within the relationship is astronomical because it forces both individuals into a place of deep defensiveness. Instead, it would have been better to have said, let's look at this principle of individual psychology and let's really hone in on that and ask ourselves, you know, who, who is this person that you're involved with? Why do they do the things they do? What is it about their history that makes them act or made them act in this particular way? I recently posted this that I think that, you know, we can see the actions that another person commits. We recognize the actions that they do. We see them and we place much emphasis on these actions. But in truth, the actions only tell us about the person. It allows this other person, for instance, to be seen. But if we know why, then it allows this other person to be known. And I think that's something we're all striving for. And that's part of the reason why it is we become involved in relationships is because we want to be in a situation where not only are we seen, not only are we heard, but we are known. And these four cornerstones hone in on the idea of being known. Behind it all, I think that there is one key concept that seems to be quote-unquote missing from these four cornerstones. And I think that that concept is the principle of love. That I think none of us get together with another human being if we do not believe that there is someone we want to have love us or someone who we wish to give love to. And I think that that's key because there are so many relationships or like we've talked about last week, that not all that we call love is love. And there are so many relationships where people believe that they love each other, but the first thing that they do when they date is to start having a sexual relationship with each other. And in doing so, they assume or think, well, this person is someone now who loves me and who cares about me and they want to know me. But like we talk about or talked about last week is that it introduces this notion of fear as well. Because now I'm not sure that this person is really interested in me as much as they are interested in continuing to have a sexual relationship with me. And it doesn't just apply to sex. It applies to any number of needs that we have, especially when these needs become unhealthy or pathological for us. That's why the concept of love, I believe, is much more healthy and significant the closer we get to what it is that we genuinely are at the core. This is where the idea of seeing life from a different angle comes in to today's conversation is that we have these four cornerstones. We recognize that most of society would have us say that we don't need to really share our history with this other person. They don't really need to know us that in depth. That comes from fear. That comes from a need to defend and protect yourself because you've been hurt otherwise. And those who would advocate that position, let's be honest, they've been hurt as well. And so they're not inclined to 
say to you, do what it is I don't do or do what it is I wouldn't do. But I couldn't encourage you enough to be able to be honest within your relationship because that depth of who you are shares with this other person who it is you truly are. They're not inclined then to challenge who it is you are and say, I need you to be somebody different that you're not. If they do, this is not a healthy relationship. This is not a place where you should be unless both individuals are willing to work on this and try to say, I want to work towards a greater acceptance of who you are and I need to do that by working on myself and working through the things that stop me from accepting you as you are. Like we talk about the cornerstone number four, society would have us believe that we shouldn't try to change anybody else. And there's truth in that. But the question is, why should we not try to change them? We shouldn't try to change them because to do so doesn't take into account their views about the world, their thoughts, their feelings. We are so subjectively focused so much of the time and that we end up losing sight of who this other person is, what they think, what they feel. That matters to us too, as much as it matters to them, or at least that it should matter that much to us. When we think about seeing life from a different angle as well, I think nothing says it more than the notion of love. When two people get together and they want to spend the rest of their lives with each other, it isn't just a union between two people. I have come to believe that really it is a union of three. It is the man, it is the woman, and it is God. Because ultimately God himself is what love is about. Let me explain. When we are born into this world, we are innocents. We are open, as we talked about in an earlier podcast, open to love and to being loved. And that's how God made us to be. In many ways, an innocent child is as close to God as human beings will ever get. We will strive, hopefully, for many of us, hopefully for all of us, to aim ourselves toward being more Christ-like in our lives. But that's as close to God as we will ever truly be on this earth. And it is a sad thing that the pride of our parents and the pathology of our parents and the subjectivity of our parents and later of the world will alter and twist that and distort us into a place of pathology where we end up not feeling love, not seeing ourselves as worthy of love, and fighting to get love as we may define it in any number of ways. I think that this throws a different angle on the perspective of what a relationship should be, is that it shouldn't be something that is so focused on gratification for just the ego or gratification for basic instincts, but truly a gratification for the child within each of us, the child who is as close to Christ-like as we could possibly be, someone who looks for their needs to be met in ways that are truly loving and healthy, something that nourishes the ego, that allows the individual to have nurturing, connecting relationships with others in his or her life. By looking at it from that angle, 
it does challenge our conceptions of the way the world is right now. We are so quick to get gratification as quickly as we possibly can in order to ease the tension that rises inside of us. It is torturous at times to be uncertain, to be afraid, and to not know where our next meal is coming from or our next hug is going to come from or whether or not somebody even could possibly love us. But I think if we allow ourselves through time and through work to look inside and to work back toward healthier gratification, healthier need gratification, that we aim towards a greater sense of connection with other human beings. And that's where love comes into the equation. It isn't as simple as saying, I love you. You're here for me. I'm here for you. Everything is good. That's where God comes into the equation to be able to say, you know, there is love here. And we are aiming towards the betterment and the nurturing of the other. Thank you and be well.